Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by staff reporters Max Madden, Jack Harris, Mason Kern, and as always, site publisher Chris Cartman. Guys, how are we doing today? Rob, Fine doing, Tuesday morning. I'm doing great, but it was a little hot outside today, and I think it's because Chris jinxed us all when he tweeted about how nice it had become outside weather-wise. I was going to quote the tweet actually last night and say, thanks for making it hot again, but I didn't know how well that would go over. Yeah, I mean, I had to move a couch on Saturday. It was like 100 degrees out. It's just not okay for the middle of October. Rob, I'm doing just fine, thank you. I didn't mind the heat today. Uh, everybody can blame me for whatever it is that they uh, want, including uh, the fact that that's not my phone going off in the background. <laughs> no, that was Jack, so we're going to blame Jack for that. But that this podcast is going to be a review of Arizona State's 20-13 to 13 loss against Sanford. We're recording this episode on Tuesday, October 23rd. And on this edition, we're going to break down ASU's failed two-minute drive as time expired, miss opportunities against David Shaw's team that resulted, what happened to the Sun Devils' run game in this game, how well did Danny Gonzalez' defense play, what this loss does for ASU going forward, how the Pac-12 did in Week 8 and some big-picture perspective on where ASU's at after seven games in the Herm Edwards era. But, guys, we're going to jump right into it with the ASU offense. And before we get into a complete breakdown of the offense, let's start with the fourth quarter specifically. And the final drive for ASU, the Sun Devils had three consecutive three-and-outs in the fourth quarter and also had one that gave Manny Wilkins in the offense the ball with two minutes and 20 seconds to play from the ASU 15-yard line. Uh, Stanford threw the ball once in that fourth quarter, then ran it nine times consecutively. That gave ASU uh, the ball, obviously, with two minutes and 20 seconds and some a chance to tie the game and potentially even take the lead on that final drive. Um, a piece of member-only content that we do each week, Chris does it specifically. It's upon further review, and it breaks down each play in the game. It gives really good detail and analysis, so you guys should check that out. That's a member-only uh, item in the Devil Sanctuary, but I really recommend checking that out. I do each week, and it, it really helps to understand what happened in the game. Chris spends a lot of time with that, so it's a really good piece to read. But a few of the key plays on that drive, the first play of the drive, Manny Wilkins takes a sack. There was a 10-yard pass to Kaya Williams that resulted in a first down at the end of that drive. Uh, big play, or not at the end of the drive, excuse me, but at the end of that sequence, getting ASU a first down. The biggest play of the drive was a 28-yard pass to Nikhil Harry that put ASU on the Stanford 34-yard line. Um, and then there was only one spike, no throwaways on that drive, then complete to Eno Benjamin in the flat with eight seconds left as time expired. The team obviously couldn't get off a final play. Wilkins threw the ball up in the air. What did you guys make of that final drive? Uh, I think the first big moment is the sack he takes on the first play because before then, like, there's still over two minutes on the clock. You don't really have to rush that much. Like, two minutes is a lot of time to drive down the field. A lot of their normal drives um, are two, two and a half minutes. So it was after that sack that all of a sudden the margin of, of timing on that drive really shortened up. Um, there was the, the first check down he threw to Eno. Benjamin that stayed in bounds, and then they also took a really long time to snap the ball after that. They let 20 seconds come off the clock between those two plays, uh, and then of course the last drive. What's so strange about it is you just expect better decisions and better instincts from a fifth-year starter who's been, or a fifth-year senior, a third-year starter. Um, you know, to be in that situation and to make some of the mistakes he did, I don't think. Anybody was expecting, especially ASU's coaching staff, for, for the game to end like that. Yeah, and I think that Jack makes a good point there, that there were plays before that final play 
that led to you know setting up that that entire situation at the end. Of course, it's a it's a bad mistake by Wilkins, and he took accountability for it. Uh, you know, Coach Likens talked about it after the game, and Coach Herm Edwards as well. But I mean, you can't make that play. And there were plays at the beginning, like uh, Jack mentioned, the sack that that Wilkins took, and then the the quick throw to Eno that really they wasted too much time getting back from and so you know if those plays go quicker if, if Wilkins throws it away if they can get uh you know up to the line of scrimmage a little bit faster then there isn't a situation where Wilkins is faced with a decision of should I throw it away or should I dump it off obviously he should have thrown it away but I think the important thing to realize here is that there are other plays that mistakes were made on that drive I mean at the end of the day it was just poor clock management it was a poor uh, decision making like Max said Manny Wilkins did take accountability for that after the game, um, he knew he should have made a better decision than to throw that check down to Eno as the time ticked away. But just really poor clock management. And like Jack said, you expect better decision making out of a, a third-year starter, fifth-year senior. And Chris, something I was talking to you about also, and, and you were bringing to my attention, was there's so much wasted time on that drive when there's so many ways that ASU could have better managed themselves. What do you think kind of you make of how that all played out? The irony of it. Rob, is that we've heard Manny Wilkins say on multiple occasions in recent weeks that he doesn't have that much time left as a Sun Devil, right? So so contrast that against Manny Wilkins wasting 45-plus seconds. I counted about 55 seconds wasted on that drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's an interesting sort of paradigm of, of kind of how to look at that uh, because really he is responsible. What you have is... Uh, senior quarterbacks, uh, guys who have been starters for three years, right? They live for these types of opportunities. Manny Wilkins considers himself a student of the game. Uh, He talks a lot about watching football on Sundays and seeing how NFL quarterbacks handle two-minute offense, one-minute offense, talking about situations, right? So when you get into those uh, situations yourself, and you know you need a touchdown and you have no timeouts in 220, that's the situation that a quarterback lives for. That's winning time. That's when you differentiate yourself as a quarterback. Okay, Very first play of the drive, he took a sack after he held the ball four seconds. Okay, Ball has to come out. Ball has to be thrown out of bounds, thrown at somebody's feet, whatever the case may be. That play cost ASU about 20 seconds. Okay, and Then... Um, the next play cost them 15 seconds because it was short of the, the goal to gain, right? They have no timeouts and it took a while for them to get going. Uh, then they had the third and two, um, and then, which gained them a first down. Then they had a, a first and 10. Um, that was a route that was thrown to Kyle Williams, but not an outbreaking route. So he's tackled inbounds, mm-hmm. right? So that's more time off the clock. And part of that, maybe you can say, is Rob Likens. I think that that route was actually designed to bring up the corner in a way to slip the receiver behind it on an outbreaker to the sideline. Okay, Two plays later is when he threw the first check down, and that was on a first and 10. right? First and 10, and at this point in time, they had a minute or so left in the game. Minute, a little more than a minute, right? The time is more important than than the down, than getting a few yards uh, or whatever the case may be. So they get five yards on this play, but that play, again, costs 15 more seconds a clock. And what also happens is everybody starts to get f- into a frenetic sort of an energy, right? Because you don't have that, you don't have that, that calming 
a fact of a quarterback who's making good decisions, yeah, that's a good point. getting everybody poised, that's a good point. and then having the time to call the right play on the next play. Okay, so then, you know, you know he he's he's under duress. It's important to say, right? There's free rusher coming at him. He's having to step up and avoid. There's two a gap blitzes, which Stanford is great at getting guys heading to the quarterback but that's just the reality of of the situation right that's it Stanford isn't the best team to be playing up against in this situation but not. if you are senior and you're saying that you know you're ready because of all the experiences that it brought you to the situation and you don't have that much time left and then when you have the second and 10 at the 20 yard lines with 12 seconds left everybody in the whole stadium knows you got two plays for the end zone right First play, you got to throw it away if you don't have it so that you get another play. A check down in front of guys that are going to get tackled before you get to a first down is going to end the game. Everybody knows that, okay? And especially quarterbacks who have watched this and studied this for a long time. So you just have to say in a very, very plain way that Manny Wilkins had a minimum of four mistakes on the drive in a two-minute situational Mm -hmm. that – ASU really should have had right. 30, 40 seconds more of clock and plenty of time to be able to do what it needed. And and it, like I said, again, difficult situation, no timeouts, free rushers, A-gap pressure. It's it's not easy. Yeah, the offensive line didn't help there, but I – That's how you make your money. Mm-hmm. Manny Wilkins wants to play football beyond this level, right? So, so what are people going to do? They're going to look at your film. Film is not going to reflect good play by a senior quarterback who's a multi-year starter. Yeah, and Wilkins completed 26 of 43 passes on the night for 353 yards. One rushing touchdown, one interception, one fumble loss. He made some plays, but he doesn't seem to be playing as confident as maybe he was last year. And I think part of that is due to the fact that ASU just hasn't been that balanced on offense. Jack uh, wrote a good piece kind of on some of that. It just doesn't seem like he feels 100% comfortable in the way ASU is running their offense. Uh, I mean... You know, this game was a lot different than the last couple weeks because he was asked to throw it so many times, and, and they were trailing by a couple scores in the second half. Um, <clears throat> I, I think, you know, the biggest thing is, like, he had a lot of just overthrows in this game that we've seen it <clears throat> at different times this year. Yeah. But uh, it was like four or five. If you, if you go through Chris's, upon further review on the board, it's, you know, those were big opportunities that he missed. You look at, there was one in the red zone where he tried to throw a back shoulder to Nikhil Harry that it's like, if you're going to do that, you got to execute those plays. Those are the important plays, and those are the plays that they've been missing this year. Um, you know, they have pretty good yards for play numbers. The offense is moving the ball well at times, but it's like when you miss on these opportunities, um, it really hurts you. He, he really forced his interception in the fourth quarter. Um, the fumble was obviously a huge play. It was a mistake-prone game from him, and that's kind of been his calling card the last couple of years is that he's been able to avoid mistakes. So even if he's not hitting those big plays, he's also not making the costly errors that can come back and bite you, and that and that didn't happen against Stanford. And, I mean, on top of that, like like this was, I thought, one of ASU's better defensive games, um, and even despite the fact they weren't running the ball, they were right there, and if he plays a better game, they probably win. And I think that's such an important part of what you were saying, the turnovers. And I think the biggest offensive stat of the night for ASU was number three. Three turnovers for the offense. So many missed opportunities five times on the Stanford side of the field. Um, and they just didn't convert some of those opportunities. Our Kevin Stewart wrote a really good piece analyzing how there was a very good argument that ASU 
should have been winning this game, should have had the opportunity and did have the opportunity to win this football game. How much did turnovers affect this game, Max? Yeah, well, I think turnovers really hindered ASU's ability to get in a rhythm on offense. Uh, obviously, 23 for 84 rushing is a fine number, but not what ASU's you know be, uh, become accustomed to in recent weeks. Uh, you know, Benjamin with 11 for 38. Uh, Manny Wilkins led the team in rushing yards, which is, I mean, they were mostly scrambles as well. And Jack mentioned the overthrows. That's something that we saw from Manny Wilkins earlier in the season, but then he kind of got away from it and he was connecting on those deep throws. And then all of a sudden he's back to making, uh, you know, to overthrowing. And so I think that, uh, like Jack mentioned also, 43 passing attempts in a 20 to 13 game is not what you expect. You expect that to be a, you know, a rush heavy game, but ASU with turnovers and inconsistencies, really just struggled to get anything going, and there, there was no fluidity in the offense like there has been in weeks past. And it is important to note that they had three turnovers in this game, which was more than they had in the first six. They only had two coming in into the game. So so it was a mistake-prone night. And for for ASU, I mean, like Jack said, Manny was forcing on, on his interception, and the fumble what was a key play that, that kind of changed the, the momentum a little bit. So it – the mistakes were a big hindrance for for the ASU offense, and like Jack said, the defense played uh, one of their better games. So so they had a chance and just didn't convert. They they probably were due to have a game where there was going to be a few turnovers. Two turnovers in six games is a very low number. They were like leading the country or just about. And Edwards was making jokes about that last week because of like what you're saying, how mm-hmm. you know that can change so quickly. But but against Stanford, that's not a good time to have that kind of stuff happen, and especially where it happened on the field. The third one, the, the, the Wilkins interception, that was on a third and long situation where he threw the ball down the field and was picked. It's not really that big of a deal. But the two that they gave away that were right, right inside the 40-yard line or so, uh, they were they were pretty costly. And some people had had a problem with calling the Wilkins design run after he had been hurt on the previous play, uh, going into the Stanford bench. I really didn't have any problem with that. I don't think that that affected his mind. They went over. There was a timeout. Remember, because they didn't, right. get, they weren't able to get the, the play in and everything. So they, they go over to the sideline. Uh, coaches talk to them. Uh, he was fine. He just didn't have good ball security on that one. And and. Um, so yeah, the ASU has more yards, more yards per play. Um, I, I think in the red zone, Stanford did better with its opportunities overall than ASU. Of course, ASU had the the missed one at the end, which they ran out of, they ran out of time. But really, that really, I think any coach will t- will say turnovers are the most important stat. And and if you're if you're in a in a lopsided way against you, that's that's a problem. And before we completely move on from the offense, I think it's important to note um, ASU's running game or lack thereof on Thursday night. Edwards made such an emphasis on being able to run the ball successfully. ASU sort of got away from that on Thursday night. ASU was trailing for much of this game. Sophomore tailback, you know, Benjamin had just 11 carries for 38 yards. He wasn't rushing the ball terribly ineffectively. 3.5 yards per carry isn't what he's been averaging this year. It's below that, obviously. But that's not... A, a crazy low number for this offense. He did catch five passes for 43 yards. Senior grad transfer Casey Tucker was in and out of the second half of this game, and I do think that probably affected a little bit of what ASU was doing. Why do you guys think the ASU kind of got away from this, though? So Benjamin did have an 18-yard run, which sort of skews the, the right. you know the, the 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 average run. But um, the main thing I think in this game that I took from it is coming off of the bye week. They put in some different 
things in their offensive package. Some of the route structures were different. We saw some play-action pop passes to the tight end and to Nikhil Harry working over the middle on slants. What I see happening at this point, Rob, is, is essentially ASU came into the season thinking it was going to be a certain type of a team. Then it, it, it kind of scrapped that to some degree. After the San Diego State loss, they put in a lot of the gap scheme runs that we saw. And then um, you build upon the gap scheme runs with a lot of bootlegs and play actions and, and things that are misdirections and get defenses, defensive backs and linebackers working in the wrong directions. Well, they didn't really have those things conceptually in their package. Okay, So what they did is they started to put those things in before this week. And then Herm Edwards, I even asked him about this in, in the Monday press conference this week, about just what, what you guys are going to be and, and how far you are into that process. And he was pretty candidly acknowledging that that's – they were trying to build what they were doing around Wilkins and their, their – their, the pieces that they had that were existing, but also it's very clear that what they've been doing is this multi-stage phasing in of what they're what they're eventually going to be offensively, and they're just not there yet, and that's one of the factors that's keeping them uh, from winning some of these games. Right, and as we transition from offense to defense, uh, a quick note on two of the biggest stars coming into this game, Nikhil Harry, who we've mentioned, and Stanford senior running back Bryce Love, both of whom came into this game a little bit banged up from previous outings, and both didn't have the biggest impacts. Nikhil Harry did end up with eight catches for 91 yards. A lot of that was in the second half. Uh, He threw an interception on a trick play. That was a a big, costly error for the Sun Devils. On a first down. On a first down. And and also... On the 31-yard line of Stanford. Yeah, I think important to point out about that play is that he threw the ball across his body. Um more than likely what happens is coaches decide where on the field and what situations they want to take some of these plays. Like they, the, the very first play from scrimmage is scripted, but again, that was a similar thing we were throwing across your body. But on the, on the interception, the, the, the thing that you want to tell in the kill Harry in practice as you're going through that every day is, you know exactly where the one receiver is going to be on the field that you're going to throw the ball to. You have to make sure that the guys around him defensively are not going to be able to intercept the ball. It's a first down, and we've yeah. talked about how um, when players who typically don't get a chance to throw the ball suddenly do, they're more risk tolerant. And you can't be really risk tolerant in that sort of a situation on a first down. Uh, and that's why I didn't really like the play call. Yeah, and Bryce Love wasn't very effective. Just 11 carries for 21 yards, two catches for 10 yards. He only played in the first drive uh, of the third quarter for Stanford. He was clearly not 100% in this game. Um, and, and I think that that gave ASU's defense a pretty good opportunity. The Sun Devils had just one sack in this game, but 12 tackles were lost. And while ASU was generating plenty of negative plays, penalties were one of the main Achilles heel uh, of this of this game for ASU. Three pass interference calls, one holding call. There was also a face mask penalty. And all for ASU was seven penalties for 86 yards. Just how much did the penalties cost ASU this game? Yeah, and if you look at the stats, I mean, Stanford had six first downs because of penalties and ASU had zero. You know, whether or not you agree with what Danny Gonzalez said after the game, which is something that we reported, um, you know, that absolutely cost cost ASU because their their defense was playing well. Stanford wasn't running the ball very well. Three yards per carry is actually lower than what ASU was able to do. Um, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, uh, of course, had, I think it was 74-91 and a touchdown. Um, you know, a solid game. That touchdown proved to be the difference. But 
all in all, the, the penalties on Crosswell, uh, you know, the holding, the, the pass interference, uh, even the, the pass interference on Kobe Williams, that just really hurt ASU. And you could say that they maybe should have adjusted to what the refs were doing or maybe the refs were wrong. But in the end, that played a huge factor in allowing Stanford to extend their drives and get first downs, even though their offense wasn't really clicking. What I kind of find interesting about this is it's like when ASU makes mistakes, they don't space them out. Like when they start making mistakes, they come in a really short period of time. Um, if you look at the first half, after Manny Wilkins fumbles, that next drive that Stanford goes on, which to that point of the game, Stanford had not been doing anything. They were not running the ball well. ASU's defensive line was playing was playing very well. Um, that drive, you have two pass interference calls on back-to-back plays that basically, and before that, also a busted coverage on three straight plays, the defensive backs making mistakes that put Stanford in field goal range and allows the game to get tied up. On the next drive after that, the DBs um, make a couple more mistakes in coverage. And it's like that first half for like the first 28 minutes, ASU looked like the better team and they were outplaying Stanford. And yet you get to the end of that stretch and because of the two turnovers and because of the penalties you have on defense, you're down at halftime. And that can be a demoralizing thing. And then they have the third quarter problems that we've talked about all year. But it, it's not just that the penalties happened, but they happened you know, back to back to back. And they happen in really important areas of the game right? where, you know, if if the end of that second quarter goes different and ASU doesn't turn it over and they don't commit the penalties, they're probably up by three, six, seven points at halftime, and it's a completely different game because of it. And what's also interesting to point out is that the penalties, they, the, the, like Jack said, it set Stanford up to be in a better position to score. And and if if – they, if ASU doesn't commit those penalties, which which Danny Gonzalez, like Max said, wholeheartedly disagreed with and, and that we reported on, the Stanford doesn't have an opportunity or as, as good of an opportunity to score points, either field goals or touchdowns in those situations. Yeah, I think if Danny Gonzalez is candid in talking about those plays after watching them again, most of them were penalties. There's maybe one that wasn't that, that they called. Um the first one on Crosswell. First one on Crosswell. Different. Yeah, the other yeah. ones. The other ones, I think, were, were, were the right calls. Now, where he kind of has a legitimate argument is that there were similar plays that weren't called against Stanford. There was a a bump clearly before the ball's arrival on a, on a pass along the sidelines for an ASU player. There were multiple holds. I put on Twitter a photo of Tyler Johnson being severely held on the second face mask that he had. And... If he doesn't get held there, he might actually be in position to make that play earlier to where there's no face mask. Um, and I think that that's kind of where coaches get frustrated is they just want to see some equity of the calls. Uh, but uh, I think Crosswell showed, showed his youth again in, in, in this game. He had multiple mistakes that he made. Some of the coverage, were, the coverage mistakes were kind of hard, difficult concepts. Uh, Trent Irwin had a good day working in front of Kobe Williams on a lot of a lot of plays in which he uh, seemed like he was going to stress the field vertically and then broke those routes off and was open underneath. And he's one of the best route runners in the league. Uh, ASU just, even though it really was 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 in the backfield so much on the day, as you said, Rob, all those tackles for loss, um, just weren't able to sort of turn that into. Any takeaways? Crosswell had the the missed interception opportunity, which you guys will remember, right. which was which was which was costly. Also on that that first Stanford mm-hmm. scoring drive, and um, and yeah, it's just it's just one more 
one more game in which you just see that it's a it's a program that's in this transitional phase, uh, despite everything that they're trying to do to avoid it. Junior quarterback KJ Costello was was it seemed very solid, not spectacular. Twenty two of twenty nine passes completed for two hundred and thirty one yards, one touchdown, no turnovers. Um, he just played in control. Four carries for eighteen yards, picked up a first down with his feet. And even though ASU was able to do a pretty good job stopping Stanford, they just had three yards per carry. It seemed like it seemed like with all that said, ASU's defense really gave the offense a, a good opportunity, and they just couldn't produce. Yeah, I mean, you know, this ASU did some different things defensively in this game. Um, they kind of mixed up the way their linebackers would go pre-snap. So there were some plays where Merlin Robertson was in the middle and Darian Butler was on the outside. There were some plays where all three of the linebackers were, were beyond the tackle box. Um, there were a lot more DeMonte King blitzes and, and things like that. I thought it was a little bit more aggressive play calling from Danny Gonzalez, especially early in the game. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, I mean, Stanford just went so conservative. It was pretty easy for them to load up the box. Uh, really, I, I think, you know, it was just a couple – mistakes from the secondary that allowed Stanford to, to get the points they did. Chris mentioned it. You know, Kobe Williams just was a little soft in coverage at times against a, a really good route runner. Uh, J.J. Arcega Whiteside's touchdown catch against Chase Lucas um, just made a made a little move to the outside at the beginning of his route that, that got Lucas to lean the wrong way almost and then beat him on the inside. Um, but, you know, overall I thought there were less mistakes from the defense, I, I thought George Lee playing at defensive end did a good job um, in, in the reps that he came in and kind of helped the run defense a lot at those areas that we've talked about where they struggled. Uh, I thought Tyler Johnson was okay making his first career start. There were some, you know, assignment mistakes and things like that, um, but, you know, wasn't a liability out there. So, yeah, I thought this was a good step forward for the defense, especially coming out of the bye week, to see them kind of add in some different concepts and some new things, as Danny Gonzalez hinted they might. Um, but again, it's like when these games where, where the offense is struggling and the, and the possessions are small and, and every mistake feels like it means that much more, it's easy to look back and pinpoint the things they did wrong and say, well, if they hadn't done that or hadn't done that, they'd probably win this game. Danny Gonzalez, as people will know, did a good job on the San Diego State staff when they played Stanford. The, the similar style teams, San Diego State had success against Stanford, um, not um, as much this year, but in, in, in previous years. And so structurally, he knows what to do. And I think that what they they brought up their their uh, their field ranger Crosswell more to the line of scrimmage that took away some of the screen game. And then they loaded up the box in a way that prevented a lot of the runs. Other than that scarlet 25-yard run, there wasn't much in the run game. And yeah, Bryce Love was hurt, but he but ASU was in the backfield consistently uh, before he was able to get a cut. And um, really, it was it was JJ Arcega Whiteside being physical, bodying up guys, really good yards after contact. Right it was Trent Irwin's ability to operate underneath against Kobe Williams, and then it was ASU's offense being unable to take advantage of some of the situations that it was presented with. And we're gonna move around the Pac-12 right now. Uh, quick recap of how Week Eight went for the Pac-12: Colorado at number 15, Washington, the Huskies. Won that game 27-13. Cal demolished Oregon State in Corvallis 49-7. Oregon went into Pullman for game day and was beat by Garner Minshew in number 14, Washington State 34-20. They were up 27 to nothing at one point, and Oregon came back to make it 27-20. to 
USC goes to Utah and loses 41 to 28, and Utah's now ranked at number 23 in the country. UCLA barely holds off Arizona, winning 31 to 30 at the Rose Bowl. And obviously, as we mentioned, Stanford defeated ASU 20 to 13. How do you guys think the Pac-12 has done overall this season? Uh, I mean, not not particularly well. It doesn't look like there's going to be a playoff team now uh, with Oregon losing. Um, you know, I I mean, I'll keep it in the Pac-12 South, like. Last, you know, last couple of weeks, it seemed like USC, even though they, they still hadn't looked great, had maybe turned a corner. And if they could get past the, the Utah game, uh, they'd probably be able to cruise to a Pac-12 South title. And now that got blown up because they got blown up by Utah. Utah ran the ball like 50 times. Yeah, SC looked amazing against against Colorado and then comes out and looks clueless. Yeah, and, and we'll talk more about USC on the, the premium podcast Thursday. But it's like, again, with this Pac-12 South, like ASU's in last place right now. And, you know, it's still like, how do you how do you look at the division and kind of rank the teams out? There's still just a lot of mediocre football being played. Um, you know, I think the North is I mean, obviously better. Um, but even there, it's it's, you know, Oregon's offense was just lifeless in the first half against Washington State. Um, it just seems like the level of football this year in the conference is, is just especially when you look around, you know, the country. Uh, it just seems there's just the lack of that really great elite team. Yeah, I mean, it's all over the place. You look at Colorado losing at, at Washington. That's pretty much it for the Buffaloes trying to win the North or even put themselves in, in that conversation after a strong start to the season. Yeah, uh, the, Colorado is going to have a okay, tough, yes, time, yes, winning yes. Yeah, really um, tough time winning the North. Yeah, uh, You know, Oregon really blew a chance at, at winning the Pac-12 North. I think now Washington State and Utah were the biggest wins uh, this weekend, obviously. I think that that uh, Washington State now really has a chance if they can you know, finally get over the hump and, and beat Washington in the Apple Cup, they could possibly win the North. Um, and, and Utah with a huge win over USC, who, you know, we assumed had the easiest schedule moving forward, and they still probably do. But, uh, you know, now it becomes a little bit more complicated. Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of go off what Jack said, just a lot of mediocre football at, at best throughout the conference and uh, don't really see much it getting much better throughout the year. Hey, guys, I have a question. Let's say that Washington State beat Stanford and then shouldn't really have a problem with Cal, let's say beats Colorado, beats Arizona, and then beats Washington. Washington State in no. the in the playoff? No, I, was, I saw where you were going there. I don't think so. Why? I don't think what if it What if it then wins the Pac-12 title game against USC or somebody? I mean, maybe. The, the, the problem is, like, you know, if you look at the rest of their schedule, like Oregon's probably going to end up being their best win. Um, and just the way things are breaking around the country, like you have Notre Dame in the playoff race this year. You have, you know, LSU and Alabama. And the way that could shape up, you could have two teams there. Like I'd UCF's say, still undefeated too. There, there's yeah, a lot. I wouldn't of worry teams. about. I wouldn't worry about UCF. <laughs> um, it's like well, I would. I it's had, like I, I was. Washington State. I, I was listening to you know another podcast uh, this morning that was talking about you know Ohio State fans are worried that they could win out and still miss out on the playoff if like Alabama loses to LSU and then the committee puts Bama in over. It's like there's so many. There are a lot. There are a lot of good teams in the country that I think still. Like when you're looking at the pecking order of which one-loss teams, even if Washington State wins the Pac-12, I think there's just going to be more good teams. Now, maybe not. Like you know, we watched Ohio State just get monstered against Purdue, um, so you never know. But it just seems unlikely that Washington State could even win out. Like it just, it seems like that you know they could trip up at some point. And I think just... a 12 and one Washington State that has wins over Oregon and Washington and wins the Pac-12 title game 
has a very strong chance to get in the playoff. I don't know if that happens or not, but I mean, if you look at how many week in and week out, how many top five losses there are, if Washington State is able to actually win out, Washington and Oregon are decent wins. And a Pac-12 title game is is decent. I mean, they're going to be in the conversation more no, than someone Pac-12 like UCF. No, the Pac-12 title game will not be yeah, decent. Yeah, I'm, I'm with like Jack you guys, you got on this. Loss, I'm with Jack Big 12, on this. you're going to have SEC. You're going to have a one-loss Big yeah, Ten champion. Just, you don't know what ha- is going to happen with Notre Dame. And that's just assuming that Washington State, who... That's assuming Washington yeah, State's going to win assuming, all Obviously, games. we're assuming that. And it's much it's much less likely than not, right? But, I mean, they're probably going to lose again. But their only loss was at USC. Now, if you're a Pac-12 team and your one loss in the whole season is at USC and you don't get in the playoff, that's you. That's probably going to be a problem, especially when – let's just look at it. Uh, LSU has to play Alabama, right? They're going to lose. So that's, I would that, agree. That takes them out. Um, is Michigan that good? Is Texas that good? I think both those teams, though, if it was between these those like three teams, those teams would definitely be favored. If they only have one loss, right? And there's three teams like that. There have to be Alabama plus three other teams like that, and throw Notre Dame into the mix. Here, but I, but keep in mind, there's there's other championship games to, to be played. I I think it'd be more likely if Notre Dame wasn't in the mix at all. Like I think. And one loss Notre good. Dame would probably get in over a one loss uh, Washington State, especially if Notre Dame, you know, beats USC. So I just there's it just seems like the there's going to be at least three or four other one loss conference champions well, that are going to have better resumes than Washington. Can State. I just make one more point since you guys are trashing the Pac-12? And, and <laughs> Go I, for and it. And that's Max and that, is with you though. And that's that's sort of understandable. There are. Uh, pop quiz: How many top twenty-five teams are in the pack are from the Pac-12? One, four, two, three, four, five. five. So yeah. obviously, it ain't that bad of a conference. No, it's in, not. In terms of how it's perceived nationally, if you have five teams that are all in the top 25, correct? Especially, it, what are they, four of them are from the North? Yep. So four teams from the North and your Washington State in the North, that's one of the top two or three divisions in college football. All right. Well, we will see how that all shakes out. So everybody shut up. All right. <laughs> all right. Wow. Sounds good. We're going to move Man. into our big ending. And, and it's where is this Sun Devil football team after seven games in Herm Edwards' first year as head coach? Is this team definitely in a better position than it was a season ago under Todd Graham? And is the future looking better? These are some of the questions. I think Chris made a really good point earlier in the podcast saying that despite – everything that ASU is trying to do offensively and defensively, they can't escape the fact that they're going through a transition period. Uh, You know, there's young guys all over the defense. Uh, You know, on offense, you have a quarterback who probably isn't where he should be progression-wise. Sure, you have, you know, the bright spots. Kobe Williams has been playing really well. You know, Benjamin has been playing really well. But there are just experience issues and schematic issues and, uh, you know, decision-making issues that, that... can't that ASU can't seem to escape from and I think that this is what you should expect I think that we all somewhere projected within uh you know one or two wins of a 500 season and so I don't think that anybody should be surprised at this point in the season uh that this is where ASU stands it it seems like they're playing better more sound football than they did last year but you got to win some of these close games it's you know last year they were able to beat Washington they were able to beat Oregon um this you know you have the Michigan State game this year but in the Pac-12, like they're, 
record-wise worse off right now than they were last year. Um, so I think that's like that's got to be the frustrating thing for this coaching staff is you feel like you've made improvements. You look at the defense, it's definitely improved, um, but you're still in a spot where you know it's you'd pretty much need a miracle now to win the Pac-12. Um, and despite those seemingly improvements, um, just the, the results haven't followed. Yeah, and I mean it's tough because ASU. All four of their losses come within a seven-point margin, um, so it, it's it's tough to be so close yet not close enough. And Manny Wilkins has, has said this, um, especially after the Stanford game, to to have lost by seven points in all four of their losses. But I, I, the future, I mean, Wilkins will be gone after this year. Nikhil Harry will most likely be gone after this year, and it is a young defense, and so it is a time of transition. And so I, I agree with Max. I don't think anyone should be surprised about where the program's at. Well. See, we're not surprised about the record necessarily, but here's the question for you guys. If I told you that through seven games of the season, ASU would have not given up more than 28 points in any game, everybody would would say that ASU was above 500, right? At a minimum. Definitely. Yeah. So the thing, that's, that's what I'm struck by is that we all thought, Herm Edwards said, and he thought we're going to be the backbone of our team is going to be our offense, Manny Wilkins, Nikhil Harry, and all that. And then you're seeing that it's just not materialized in the way that they had anticipated and everybody. And that's why people are frustrated because the defense actually for being young and inexperienced and having some issues, it's been pretty good. It's done a really good job. By and large for where they're at and what their talent is that they have to work with and their experience level, it's been pretty good. So, the bottom line is you just have to say that the offense, even though, and we're going to be writing about this later in the week, so I'll look forward to it, even though they are in some respects better than you would think in some of these advanced sort of stats that we talked about, like yards per play and 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 points per play and all these other things, it just hasn't turned into the type of point production that they need to be winning mm-hmm. and that has to be extremely frustrating for them but again circling back Manny Wilkins you said I don't have that much time we got to do it now well that means you got to actually perform in these two minute type situations and time's running out for ASU season seven games out of the way so far ASU is traveling this week to Southern California to take on USC with that game at 1230 from the Coliseum Jack and I, as well as Chris, will be there reporting on that game. But right now, alongside staff reporters Max, Matt, and Jack Harris, Mason Kern, and site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm Rob Warner saying so long, and thank you for tuning in.